John chapter 13. Debbie, keep him awake over there for me today. Before we get into the Word, I'd like us to pray. And I felt uh, this week, I spent much more time praying than preparing. And I just felt that there's something of God opening up doors to a a bigger arena for some of us, but there's an opposition. And so anytime the kingdom is advanced, it has to be advanced forcefully because there's an opposition. Fortunately, God's so much greater than the enemy. We don't need to worry about the opposition. We just need to be aware of it. And then we need to get our eyes back on the awesomeness of God, who can tear down walls, who can uh, break strongholds, who can make a way where there isn't a way because he's an awesome king. So can we just pray that as we enter into this, we've been talking, I'll tell you just now, but we're actually going to talk about kingdom relationships uh, over the next few weeks. And it's a whole big thing because it's so different than the world. So can you just bow your head for a moment? Pray with me. Lord, we just acknowledge how great you are. I acknowledge how great you are. I acknowledge that you're greater than every opposition, you're greater than every uh, hindrance, you're greater than the darkness that would try and uh, keep our eyes closed and deceive us. You're greater as you bring truth. And so we just simply open our heart to you and say, Lord, would you break through the strongholds, the walls, the things that have been in opposition in our lives, that we can move into more of your kingdom. Thank you that you're able to do that. Lord, I acknowledge that you're the one who can. I can't. We can't on our own. But you can. Thank you that you're such a good God. And we don't have to be fearful as you begin to transform us. We don't have to be afraid of what that means. We can actually rest in you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. There is about a zillion scriptures I could have gone to this morning because we're actually talking about the the foundation of kingdom relationships. But let's start off with John chapter 13 and verse 34. Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. In the new covenant, there's one commandment. This is it. In the old covenant, there were the Ten Commandments, and there were 613 or or so other commandments that made sure that you acted right and did all the right things. And that was complete. And Jesus says, He's just instituted a new covenant, and this is the commandment. Matthew uh, 22 talks about the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, what's the greatest commandment in the old covenant? That's what they're talking about. And Jesus, recognizing that, says the greatest commandment 
is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the best of the old. That's not the new. Jesus goes beyond that and says, in the new, you're to love others as I've loved you. In the old, the best you can do is love people as you love yourself. It's self-centered. But in the new, it's self-sacrificing. Big difference. And that's what Jesus says here. By this, all will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. We're going to talk about the inter- introdu- introducing to this morning our next section in what we've been doing, which is kingdom relationships. But before we get to that, let me just review a little bit. We started talking a few weeks ago about the glory of God, which is the substance, the weight, the actual presence of God, and an increased presence, an increased weight of his glory. As we align ourselves with him and his pattern and priorities, too often we think he should get behind what we're doing, and he doesn't come and follow us around. He says, come where I am. And so he gives them, as we talked about a few weeks ago, they build a tabernacle, Exodus 40, they build a tabernacle as God told them how to build it. He didn't just say, just do something and I'll come. He said, build it this way because this represents or aligns with what's actually in heaven. And so as we build our lives that way and align with him, we see an increase of his presence in our lives, our homes, and in our church. And then we saw a couple weeks ago as we tied that into the kingdom of God in the New Testament, the rulership of God, submitting to his authority. And as we're transformed, the number one thing that Jesus spoke about was the kingdom of God. More than that, 10 times more about the kingdom than he spoke about salvation. He spoke about the kingdom of God from his very first sermon, and he spoke about it after his resurrection until he went up to, to heaven. He spoke about things pertaining to the kingdom. Why? Because it's so different than the world. It's so different. So much so that when we talk about the kingdom, we actually have to be transformed. The very first thing Jesus said was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means change your thinking. Turn away. Think differently. A new kingdom has come. I'm getting excited and I've already preached this. And then we talked about the first key to aligning ourselves with God and his priorities is worship. And that's what our focus has been on the last uh, month or so. Uh, We talked about the presence of God is carried on the shoulders of the priests from 1 Chronicles 13 to 15. And all of us are priests, every single one. And so your participation in worship is not just for you, it's for him, but it's also for everyone else. You bring something of the presence when we gather together. Obviously, you can experience God's presence alone, but there's something of that multiplied as we gather together. 
And so every one of us, our participation is important. We talked about Jesus being the focus of our worship. Every kingdom has a king, and he's the king of this kingdom. So he's our focus. And we talked about uh, how we stand in the face of difficulty is by keeping our focus on him. So today, I want to talk about kingdom relationships. Okay? Now, I have to use that term because, as I said, the kingdom of God is so different than the kingdom of the world or than the world. Uh, As we talked about in the past, just a reminder, the world is ruled by Satan. He's the, the ruler of this world. Jesus is the king of a different kingdom. And so the kingdom of the world is, represent, is representative of and carries the same heart as the ruler. Because kingdom means that which is under a rule or the area of rulership or, or dominion. And so the, the kingdom of the world is run by Satan who's evil and selfish. Plain and simple. John 12 30, Jesus says, uh, 31, sorry, got them backwards. 1231, my fault. I wrote them backwards on the notes because the next one's John 14, 30, and I wrote 31. So I'm messing around. But it basically says this Jesus says that Satan is the ruler of this world. He says it in John 12:31 and in John 14:30. Jesus is the ruler of this world. 1 John 5.19, we're going to jump to that one because that one's right, says the whole world lies under the influence or the sway of the wicked one. So understand the situation that we live in. We live in a world that is ruled not by God, but by the devil. And it represents the ruler who rules over it. So that the things of the world are not the things of the kingdom. And so Jesus comes in with this other kingdom and says it's so different, you actually have to be transformed to get this. You still with me? I've said this all before. Uh, But wonderful that when we understand that the God of this kingdom is love. And so he says, a new commandment I give to you. In this kingdom, it's ruled by love. But the kingdom of the world is ruled by selfishness. Now, it takes a while for us to understand because most of us, all we've ever known is the kingdom of the world mentality. That kingdom, in the kingdom of the world, relationships are ruled by selfishness and self-centeredness. That's just how it is. It represents the ruler, and relationships are ruled by selfishness because people in the kingdom of the world are selfish. That's all they know. 
if you expect something else, you're going to be disappointed. A friend of mine once said that uh, most people in the world approach relationships with an empty cup. I have an empty cup, and I'm looking for someone else to fill my cup up. Now, selfishness is, you fill my cup. You, you provide everything I need. We use funny expressions like, a, what, what have you done for me lately? We have this idea of relationships at best being a contract. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You do something for me, I'll do something for you. And we have to negotiate how that works. So much so that the very covenant of marriage in much of the world has become contractual. It's no longer covenant. But in the kingdom of God, relationships are ruled by love and grace, not by selfishness. How can that happen? Only because we're transformed by the goodness of God. We use terms like agape, which is unconditional self-sacrificing love. We're going to hear more about that in a few weeks. I'm just introducing this. We use terms like sacrifice, laying down your life. He would come after me, let him lay down his life, deny himself. Terms like dying to self. Mary and I have been doing uh, some premarital counseling with a young couple. And we got to the point where we were talking about defining love. And I was thrilled in that what it came down to as they defined it is really love is sacrifice. Love is choosing someone else's best. It's sacrificing. And they told us without prompting, well, I asked them, what's the opposite of that? They said, the opposite of that is selfishness. When I choose myself. But that's what the world is. See, when we are part of the kingdom and come to God first, he fills our cup. And we come to relationships with a full cup that we can pour out for others, not an empty cup. Big difference. I was thinking about this this week, and I thought, you know, John Lennon actually had the right idea. All you need is love. He just had no idea where it came from or what it was. God's our source. Wonderful thing is that this type of love, God's love, creates a place of safety and security, a place of protection, of nourishment, of growth, of happiness, where people are valued, a place of freedom. Sounds a lot like the presence of God, doesn't it? This type of love, when we love people as Jesus loved us and lay down our lives for others, it creates a place of safety. 
when our concept of love is selfishness, it creates a place that isn't safe. Creates a place of control. Domineering, bullying, manipulation. All those things that the world has leads to fear, hurt, even abuse. That's what you can expect in a selfish, self-centered approach to relationships. That's why we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind because when God fills us, we have to bring the, the love that we have from him into our relationships so we're actually loving people, no longer using people. Unfortunately, if we don't understand the gospel of the kingdom, what we have at best is a mixture. We have this idea that we should love people, but we still are selfish. We have this idea that we should lay down our lives for people, but we still have these needs and we still look for someone else to fill them. That's all the easy part. Take a deep breath. At the beginning of the year, Mary felt she had a word that God shared it's, that I've kept in my mind. What was that was the foundation has been built. Now it's time to build. Foundation is complete. Now it's time to build. Building is adding bricks at a time. And as we respond, something is built. And so the problem is that when we talk about the kingdom, it actually requires us to change. And that's difficult. It's a whole lot easier if I just told you things that you already like. And then you say, oh, this is wonderful. So how do we move into the kingdom? Obviously, we start by salvation. We come to Jesus. He's the king. We've talked about that. If, if we're not following him, we're not part of his kingdom. But when we get saved, 1 Corinthians 5.17 says you become a new creature. But let me tell you, you become a new creature in spirit but you're still being transformed in your thinking and your emotions. Be when you get saved, you don't actually become totally different in your thinking. You still have to be transformed. What's that? That's changing our thinking from the way of the world to the way of the kingdom. So we're in the process of being transformed in our mind and our emotions. How does that work? First, it means we have to renounce the spirit of the world and its selfishness and self-centeredness. We have to acknowledge it, and then we have to renounce it. Its place in us. Every one of us. It means where we've been selfish We've got to repent. 
Admit it and quit it. Turn away. Well, we've been domineering or controlling. We have to repent. Well, we've been manipulating. We have to repent. Well, we've been abusive. Whether verbal or physical, we have to repent. Now we're getting serious. Even as I said those things, for many of you, the Holy Spirit brought things to your mind. I don't have to convince you. You know by the Holy Spirit that lives within you when you've been selfish. So the key to moving in the kingdom is that we don't justify our actions and make excuses. I was selfish because Mary said this. What am I doing? I'm just justifying. I'm saying it's not actually something I need to repent of. If I could change everyone around me in the world, it'd be perfect. See, ultimately, what the world says in relationships is that so I can be absolutely, perfectly selfish, I need to find someone who is absolutely, perfectly unselfish. (laughs) What's wrong with that? (laughs) And that's exactly what happens. People say, my selfishness is okay if everyone else would change. How do we get to a place where we have slavery or sex slavery? Someone who is so selfish says, I don't care what anyone else experiences as long as it benefits me. See, we say selfishness, and we kind of just wash over it, but it is hideous. It comes from the devil himself. Repentance is turning, but it's not just turning from, but it's turning to. Love. It's acknowledging selfishness and it's turning from that, but it's turning to love. So take a moment. Bow your head. Don't look around at anyone else. And renounce the spirit of the world. Renounce where you've allowed it and selfishness to determine how your relationship should function. If you're getting your relationship, relationship clues from daytime television, just repent. It or nighttime, it is actually 
under the influence of the evil one. Say, God, I just recognize that in me and my flesh dwells no good thing. And I need the empowering of your spirit to live the type of relationships that is available when I'm part of your kingdom. Secondly, you can open your eyes now. Can't let you keep your eyes closed too long. Some of you will fall asleep. I saw Tim beginning to snore up here, so. Long time ago when uh, Mary and I led a church, we planted a church in Melbourne, and we had a young guy who worked in the horse racing industry, and he got, went to work really early on Sunday morning, and then he, he, and he rode his bike. And then he'd come to church, and he quite often would fall asleep because he started at like 2.30, and then it's 10 o'clock. He's had a whole day, and so he'd sit there and do the sermon. And, but one Sunday, he uh, started snoring. <laughs> and my wife and son were sitting fairly close to him, and they just lost it. They were making more noise laughing than he was making snoring. <laughs> so I just uh, realized, okay, what do I do? So I just had everyone stand up. And we finished the last 10 minutes of the sermon standing. I figured if I have to stand, everyone else will stand. And obviously you can't sleep while you're standing. And so it, it actually worked. My wife said, why are we standing? <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> Secondly, though, First, we have to renounce the spirit of the world, but secondly, we can't talk about this without realizing that some people have been the victims of others' selfishness. Unfortunately, we live in a world that's under the influence of the evil one. And so some have experienced things like bullying and control and even abuse. You need to realize restoration is a process. It's, it doesn't usually happen all at once. Changing the way we think and our emotions often takes a while. And so it's a process, but it's a process that starts with forgiveness and healing. Forgiveness is not approving of someone's actions. It is not requiring you to put yourself back in a place of trusting someone who is untrustworthy. If you trust people who are selfish and expect them not to be selfish, you're just dumb. Just tell you how it is. But sometimes we have this idea that the Bible talks about forgiveness as being forgive, forgive and forget. Forgive, and that means we pretend nothing happened. That's not what the Bible says. Peter talks, asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who sinned against me? And Jesus says, if they repented, See, there's something that happens that there is no restoring of relationship without repentance. 
If I do something that is wrong to Tim, he can unilaterally forgive me and release me from his judgment to God's judgment, but that doesn't mean he has to trust me again unless I've repented. But if I come to him and said, Tim, what I did was wrong, God showed me. Absolutely wrong. Will you forgive me? I will never do that again. I've turned from it. Then the Bible says, yes, we can be restored in relationship. But not understanding the two. One is a unilateral releasing people from our judgment sets us free. It doesn't do anything to them. It sets us free. But the other is a restoring of relationship that is repentance that's tied in with uh, forgiveness that's tied in with repentance. So if you've been the victim of someone's abuse, you can release them, you can forgive them so that you're free from the bitterness. Someone said bitterness is like you drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It just eats you up inside, and so forgiveness is releasing that. But that doesn't mean that you have to then put yourself back in the place where you get abused again. That's just dumb. And it's not the Bible. I'm getting stirred up here. But there's something about forgiveness that is a key ingredient in healing. There's something about us releasing people and the bitterness that allows the grace of God to flood in and bring healing. Too often people are asking for healing, but they're holding on to bitterness. And they wonder why they don't get healed. If you've been the victim of, of someone else's selfishness, can you just say, God, I forgive? And in that, Lord, will you set me free from bitterness? And then, say, God, now will you heal me so that what I experience doesn't affect me going forward? Healing isn't changing what happened. It's not going back in the past and changing what happened. That happened. Healing is that that doesn't have to affect me going forward. For some of you, your change from the kingdom of darkness and self-centered relationships to the kingdom of God and love-centered relationships will set a determination for your family for the future that will change something that, that has existed in your family for generations that can, can end today and come into something new. That's the kingdom of God. You are not bound by what was past. You can be released into the love of God. So we renounce 
the spirit of the world. We repent of our own selfishness and selfish behavior. For those who've been victims of other selfishness, there's forgiveness and then receiving God's healing. As I was praying this week, and especially this last night, I felt the Holy Spirit show me two things in addition. That there's some, as a result of what they've experienced, have also subsequently experienced an incredible sense of loss. And I don't even know what all that means. Maybe a loss in relationship or a loss in innocence or a loss in future. There was something of loss that God wanted to step in. And I felt, in addition, I felt the Holy Spirit say there's some who have been living in this twilight of mixture. A little bit of the world, a little bit of the, the kingdom, not understand their heart's good, but they've lived in this, and they can't understand why relationships just don't work. And God's saying for you, mixture doesn't work. Maybe you didn't even realize it because you didn't know anything different. But God's saying today, you can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of his love. Would you bow your head? The love of God poured over us. The love of God that flows through us and not only brings healing, but restores not only us, but an atmosphere where people can get healed. Just take a moment. We're going to finish with a song. If the worship team would, would come and get ready. We're in no hurry. I often feel a sense of, of time constraint because I know the teachers are out with kids. It's kind of tough to get people to volunteer if we make them stay out there for hours and hours at a time. But I really felt this morning the Holy Spirit said, don't, don't hurry. There's something of just the presence of God that brings healing, that he's just wanting to pour his love. There's so many of us from different backgrounds and different situations and different circumstances that we can't identify, we can't identify and call it everything. The Holy Spirit does that. Just respond to him. Okay, we're gonna do a song that seems like it doesn't fit here because it's not a quiet, gentle, uh, move-in-the-spirit song. 
It's a declaration of breakthrough. And so, when you've got to the point where the Holy Spirit's done whatever He wants to do, I'm going to invite you to stand. You don't have to, don't feel pressured to do that right away. But we're going to just join in. Song declares His power, His presence break strongholds and that's the the wonderful thing we don't have to try and do it ourselves he does it I've thrown him for a loop because I asked him to do this yet didn't tell Christy so she's trying to find the uh, she's got it this song applies to us individually. God tears down walls. But it also applies to a bigger picture. And that he's creating an atmosphere where people can come and get healed. A community where lives can be restored. A light that shines in the darkness and impacts the world around us.